There is just something about that name. There's power in the name of Jesus. And as scripture tells us, and as life has taught us, Satan must flee at the name of Jesus. We give him way too much credit. We think we need to hide from Satan. He needs to be hiding from us because of Jesus. We need to have that confidence in the power that comes from knowing who he is and putting our life in his hands. I was thinking a lot this week about hands and just thinking through. I thought of my dad and, and uh, just was missing him and um, thinking through talking with him and how I noticed he communicated a lot with his hands. When I was young, the hands every once in a while got near my backside and he communicated very clearly. When he preached, he used his hands a lot. And as he got older and as I probably paid more attention in conversations, if I sat with him, I would just watch his hands sometimes. I think sometimes the motion was to keep from saying, what are you doing? But the hands tell us a lot, but even more so, hands tell us and show us how valuable something is. A parent holds on to a young child's hands because they value that child, don't want them to run out into the traffic. Now the child thinks the parent is stifling them, but the parent knows the value, so they hold on. There's a lot of things that the value can be seen in how the hands are used with the product. Now, if you're not familiar, this is a golf club. It's called a putter. And um, in golf, they talk about drive for show and putt for dough. I was reminded this week that in my golf game, I have no show or dough. Because the truth is, the value of this club in my hands is, well, pretty much nothing. <laughs> but if you hand this same club to Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy, it suddenly can become worth millions of dollars just depends on whose hands it's in. And then I thought through a few other things. I love basketball. And I used to have some game back when I could actually run and jump. But even at the height of my glory, a basketball in my hands wasn't worth much. Put this same ball in the hands of LeBron James or Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and suddenly that same ball becomes worth millions. It becomes a championship ball, not just a ball. 
It all depends on whose hands it's in. And then we are in football season. This ball in my hands is worth less than nothing because I got no game. But put this in the hands of Patrick Mahomes. It's not only worth millions, it's worth Super Bowl championships. See, it all depends on whose hands it's in. The same thing is true with your life. It all depends on whose hands your life is in. In your hands, well, tell me, how's that working? But your life in God's hands becomes priceless. It becomes eternity with him. See, the big question this morning is, whose hands are you in? Have you put your life and your hope and your future in your hands or in the hands of Jesus? We just sang about speaking the name of Jesus. And the truth is, Jesus' name is what matters. But what matters is what you do with his name. We sometimes have a tendency to think, just like with these things, that only the great ones matter. But it's interesting, you read the New Testament. You look in history and see that Jesus called fishermen, not graduates of rabbinical schools. He called factory workers and teachers and homemakers and students and retirees and on and on. Because if we put our life in his hands, we can change the world. Mother Teresa, I'm not sure she even reached five feet tall. But she changed the world. Billy Graham was just a kid from North Carolina but he put his life in Jesus' hands and hundreds of thousands came to know Jesus because of it. See, it all depends on whose hands it's in. And the beauty of Jesus is that he calls you and me, he calls the average person. In fact, as Jim Simbola said, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. The Apostle Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong because of him. So therefore, I glory, I rejoice in my weakness. That goes against our culture, doesn't it? We try to hide all the weakness. But when you put it in his hands, 
It's a life transformed. Putting myself in the hands of Jesus means my life has changed. It also means that I listen to him and talk with him and I pray. And middle of this week, my thing was, man, do I need to pray more? So tomorrow night, 6.30, I'm coming in here to pray for a while. You're welcome to join me if you want. No agenda, no lesson, just to pray and give some praise to him. You see, if we put what we have and who we are in the hands of Jesus, if we listen to his voice and do what he says, he can use you. To change your world. We need to join our hearts. And our voices together. We need to pray. We need to share. We need to fellowship. We need to help. We need to encourage. And lift one another up. We need to put ourselves in Jesus' hands. And let him guide our hands. It's a choice for each of us. If you have your Bibles or Bible on your devices, I invite you to turn with me in the New Testament to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. This is when Jesus is first calling his disciples. What an interesting time. Imagine this carpenter from... Nazareth, walking around and beginning to teach and share and touch people with his hands. And things began to change and people began to follow. And this is some of that early picture. Follow with me. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said, I'm sorry, let me go up to verse 35. I jumped in the middle at verse 43. <clears throat> I can't even blame it on my glasses. Beginning at verse 35, the next day again, Jesus, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour or 4 in the afternoon. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or rock. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And he did see that. It's time to put your life in Jesus' hands. For that to happen, you need to choose where and with whom you will stay. The first two disciples following Jesus said, where are you staying? Now that's a dangerous question, isn't it? I mean, if somebody asks you, you meet them somewhere and they go, hey, by the way, where are you staying? My first response would not be, well, come on and find out. My first response would be, why do you want to know? Jesus just said, come on, you'll see. Watch where I'm going. Stay where I am staying. You and I need to find out where Jesus is and stay there. Well, isn't he everywhere? Yes, he is. Where is he at work? Work there. Too many times we find ourselves in the situation, at least I do, where I'm saying, okay, Lord, this is our plan. Would you please bless this plan? Instead of saying, Lord, what's your plan? We'll do that. Because I know that's already blessed. Where have you put your life? If we want to put our life in his hands, we got to find out where he is. Where is he working? Where is he already moving? And we need to be there. We need to stay with him. We also, if we want to put our lives in his hands, just like this passage shows, we have to choose who we will follow. It's interesting to me that these guys didn't know Jesus and they started following him. There was just something about him. John the Baptist told the first ones, there he is, the Lamb of God. I can kind of understand them going. The others had been called by their friends or brothers. And Jesus kept saying, and they kept saying, come and see. You know, that's a pretty good testimony. That's a pretty good witness. I don't know what to say to anybody. We'll say, come and watch. Oh, church? No, I mean, watch your life. But then that's a scary thing, isn't it? What I wanted to see is Jesus, which means I need to get as close to him as I can so that they see Jesus. I want to speak Jesus. The name that changes lives. The name that has power over addictions. 
and all kinds of things. Choose who you will follow. In verse 37, the two disciples who heard John say that followed Jesus. Verse 42, um, Simon began to follow Jesus because his brother said, Come and see. We know him as Peter. Because he met Jesus, his life was changed, and so was the church. Verse 43, Jesus went to Galilee, found Philip, and said, follow me. And he did, and then invited Nathaniel to do the same. You've got to choose who you will follow, because your future is determined by who you follow. That's why your parents, when you were younger, said to you, be careful who your friends are. Now, that doesn't mean we don't befriend or be friendly with anyone and everyone. It doesn't mean we don't reach out to those in need who are hurting. It means watch out who you follow. They might lead you the wrong way. I love the story of one church. They were gathering in groups. In fact, they had, they had set up, I think, in a fellowship hall around tables and were doing communion that way. And they had instructed the leaders of the tables when it's, you know, we give you this signal, you get up and your table will follow you. Come and get the communion elements and then go back to your table. And one of the tables in the back, the guy who was the leader of that table realized he had a little bit of time he needed to go to the restroom. So he got up and headed out and his table got up and headed out with him. That's a whole, a whole different, different definition, definition of communion. communion. <laughs> you got to watch who you're following. We need to choose who we follow, choose carefully, and put our lives in Jesus' hands. If we're going to put our lives in his hands, we got to answer the call to come and see. i got to admit to you, for all the times I've ever read this, this came alive to me this week. Come and see. You see, you have a personal invitation to come and see him. You have a personal invitation to him. And because of that, you can with confidence invite others to him. So I don't understand. Well, come and see. Let's look at the word. Come and see. Come to worship. Come and see. Jerry Cook said, it shouldn't be possible for a non-believer to sit in a worship service of believers who are truly worshiping and not be changed by their worship. Come and see. If you want to put your lives in his hand, watch him. You've already got the invitation to that. If you're going to put your life in his hands, you need to share the invitation with others. I love this. I mean, you know, Andrew saw Jesus, realized who he was, and he went to Peter and said, come on, follow, watch. Philip went to Nathaniel. Philip already knew Nathaniel might have a negative attitude, and he still invited him. I mean, look at Philip's response. Or Nathaniel's response when Philip told him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, he said, what good can come out of Nazareth? That was said because Nazareth was one of those out-of-the-way, forsaken places 
where nobody chose to go on their own. That's one reason our denomination chose the name Nazarene, Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, because our focus is to be on reaching those who have not yet been reached. Sometimes it's the least, the last, and the lost. To reach out to anyone and everyone, that invitation is already there, and we need to share it. Jesus invites Nazareth people. But you need to understand, lest you're feeling kind of high and mighty this morning, we were all Nazareth people at one time. Those who were not deserving. And yet he said, come on, come and see. See what I have, see who I am, see what I teach. See how I live. And then, if you're going to, Put your life in his hands. You need to put your whole life in his hands. See, our thing is we make heroes out of people who throw balls around. Or make movies. Or sing a song. Well, that's not who they are. That's something they do. And too many of us kind of treat Jesus like the athlete treats the ball. This is a tool for what I'm doing right now. But when the game's over, I've got to do my own thing. If you're going to put your life in Jesus' hands, you need to put your whole life in his hands. Not just part of it, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just at a church fellowship, not just when people are watching, but your whole life in his hands. So let me ask you, whose hands are holding your life today? Is your life in Jesus' hands? Or are you trying to manage it yourself? See, so my question this morning is, will you give it all to Jesus? Everything that you know at this point, will you give it all to him? See, you already have the invitation. And the invitation that Jesus gave always was with this condition. Come just as you are. He didn't say, clean up and then come. He said, come just as you are. I remember the very first church where I served as pastor, a lady who was just battling some inner stuff and just struggling. And she knew the truth and wanted to follow it. But her battle, and we finally got a chance to get down to the root of it and she named a couple things that she knew she needed to change in her life and she said pastor as soon as I change those things I'm coming to Jesus I said no that's not how it works the only condition is for you to come just as you are he'll help you not to stay that way you come with your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups you come with your anger and your fear. You come with your dreams and you come with your 
hesitations. You come with your fatigue and your motivation, your discouragement and your encouragement. You come with the things you're good at and the things you're not very good at. You just come just as you are. Now for some of you, you've made that choice. Some of you haven't. And this morning, I invite you, if you haven't, this morning, just to come and see. Say yes to him. I invite you, if you've made that choice, but you're recognizing this morning, you're holding something back. You haven't really given everything. I invite you to come and see. Just as you are. Let's stand together. Sing along. And if God's speaking, if this is the moment for you to lay something down, if this is the moment for you to give it to him, just come forward. You can kneel or stand. And then we're going to pray. Let's sing and you come.